The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. What we expect is that Christmas is karma. So if you're anything like me, what that means is you try. You really do. You try as hard as you can to do good in order to be good so that you can get off the naughty list. And I I think that most Christmases I approach it feeling like I'm on the naughty list. And then hopefully if I do enough good in order to be good, then I can get on to the nice list. And uh, this feels impossible and I work really hard at it. I'm sure you're like that, right? Like you you really try hard and uh, you feel like you're not doing a great job, even as parents, right? We feel like probably our kids should be saying it back to us. you're going to end up on the naughty list. And, 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 you know, it's frustrating, it's challenging, but then there are those few people that they just don't care. Or maybe they used to try really hard, but they have found it futile. Like this kid, this little six-year-old who uh, made the news this week because he wrote a letter to Santa uh, as a class, I don't know, class project. And here is his letter. You guys can check it out. Uh, it, it says this, Dear Santa, I know your naughty list is empty, and your good list is empty, and I know your life is empty. (laughs) I read this and I was like, man, how did this six-year-old end up so cynical? You don't know the the trouble I've had in my life. Goodbye, love, I'm not telling you my name. Am I the only one that read that and thought, man, that kid needs a hug? Like, man, somebody just needs to put their arms around him and be like, dude, life is okay. Like, if you're this, you know, in trouble, if you're this stressed out now, whoo. And then, uh, and then my heart really breaks. And I'm like, man, what has this little dude been through? And his poor mom actually got on the news and was like, seriously, there's nothing traumatic going on in my kid's life. I know you all want to intervene. He's okay. But, you know, like, I, I think maybe this little six-year-old captured it. He's just like, forget you all. The whole thing is empty. Your life is empty and your list is empty. But the rest of us, man, like, isn't that a struggle? Like you just try really hard to do good in order to be good because life is challenging. We could echo this little guy's refrain and be like, Santa, you don't know all the trouble in my life and I'm sick of trying really hard. And and that's actually the trap, isn't it? You know what religion is? It's trying to do good in order to be good. And isn't that the whole message and goal of Christmas? So that we're good enough so that God will give us his good gifts of love and kindness and forgiveness. I mean, if you think really deeply about what we believe about Christmas, what we expect is perfect little baby Jesus, right? God becomes one of us. And when Jesus shows up, he's this God angelic baby with a little halo around his head who never spits up and Mary never has to change his diaper, right? I can prove it, like away in a manger, right? Like if you sing along the lyrics, right? Away in a manger, right? This little baby Jesus, and I I had to write down because I'm terrible with lyrics, even though I've sung this song a million times, right? The stars in the sky look down where he lay, the little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay, the cattle are lowing, but the, and you know, baby Jesus awakes, but the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. And there he is, right? 
perfect little baby Jesus with the halo around his head. He's not just perfect. He never experiences anything bad or frankly, anything human. Right? Like Mary never had to change a diaper. Jesus never woke up in the middle of the night screaming at the top of his lungs and Joseph wanted to go over there and be like, seriously, little Lord, I'm trying to sleep. Like he was actually allowed to go, dear Jesus, what is wrong with you? You know, like, I, but, but, but you're hearing this and you're like, like Patrick's about to get struck by lightning. Like, we're not allowed to talk like that. Like when Jesus got to 14 years old, he didn't get acne. Nobody bullied him. Because if they did, they were like, you know, if somebody stubbed their toe in gym class and they were like, Jesus, he was like lightning out of his fingertips. And you know, like Jesus is totally disconnected from our world. And, and that's what Luke wrote about. Luke wrote the gospel from his perspective, an eyewitness account, but it's who he's writing to that makes his writing so powerful. He, he's writing to a group of recent converts. They had converted from their Greek paganism to Christianity. They were gathering in a church, so he wrote it to them and to those that they would reach out to, so to a pagan uh, world practicing, you know, this polytheism under the, under the beliefs of the Greeks at the time, right? And so in their view, God was either far away and distant because they're just hearing about this Jesus, God who becomes one of us, and God is either far away and distant or the Greek gods who are no different than we are. The Greek gods who have the same impure motives, they're, they're the same, they're just as sex crazed as every other person. They have the same bizarre struggles. They wrestle with the same realities we wrestle with and they act just like us only because they have godlike powers. It's kind of like watching the Avengers. They use their powers sometimes for selfish purposes. And Luke is writing to this audience going like this. God is neither far away and distant, nor is he just like you. And, and so Luke introduces Jesus to these new believers and people who are curious, and he gives them this challenge. Jesus is not what you expected. You expected God to be far away and out of touch, or you expected God to be just like every one of us who acted just like us and is just as corrupted as any one of us. But I want to introduce you to Jesus who is close yet completely different. And so Luke, very quickly when you meet Jesus, you, you hear this, right? It's Luke chapter 4. As Luke is introducing us to Jesus, he was like this. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. And immediately, you're introduced 
to Jesus who gets really hungry when he doesn't eat? And how do you act when you're hungry? Maybe you get a little irritable. Maybe you're a little bit more vulnerable. Maybe you, maybe you struggle a little more. And so in the middle of his hunger, he's starting to struggle with temptation because the devil himself comes and starts luring Jesus with temptations. And it's weird for us to think about this little haloed angelic infant God who struggles with hunger and struggles with using his power in inappropriate ways, who struggles with uh, pride, who struggles with uh, being known, and yet that's exactly what these temptations are. And what's shocking is that Jesus doesn't give in to the temptations. He's tempted, and yet he doesn't give in to those desires and those temptations. And so it's reasonable for us to meet a man who is just like us and is tempted and fails. It's also reasonable to be introduced to a God who never struggles like we do. But to me, a God-man who struggles with our struggles and yet does not fail, that's something unexpected. In fact, Jesus is so unexpected that as he goes through his adult life, he embraces struggle. He embraces the trials and the troubles of life. He is fully human so that at the end of his life, as he's dying, in his suffering, one of his peers, also hanging on a cross, recognizes that Jesus is unexpected. It's found in Luke chapter 2, verse 23. Let me just read it to you. Um, the, the, another one of those criminals, a, a criminal dying on the cross near Jesus said, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Just being near Jesus on the cross, watching him suffer. He goes, we're suffering because of what we've done wrong. But this guy, he, there's something different. There's something unique. There's something unexpected about him. And in fact, just a few moments later, after Jesus dies, the centurion, it's found in Luke 23, verse 47, the centurion seeing what had happened praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man, meaning surely this was a perfect man. Surely this was somebody altogether different from any of us. And what does that mean? What does it mean to be introduced to a God who becomes a man who is perfect, struggles with our struggles, tempted with what we're tempted with, and yet is totally different. How did he use that perfection? He could, he could understand what we went through, what we go through, and yet he didn't give in the way we give in. Maybe that perfection gives him the unique right to judge us. In fact, if you jump to Hebrews, the, the letter to the Hebrew church Chapter 4, you actually get that very point. So this is just a warning. This verse is going to scare you. It actually kind of sounds like Christmas karma, right? Where gifts aren't gifts at all. Gifts are earned through good behavior. You do good and then you get good. Listen, verse, uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. And everybody can collectively say, uh-oh. That's right. And all of our servants, we just right now, I want you to just, I'm going to read that again. And then when you hear that, I just want you to say, uh-oh. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. 
right? He's, he's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out if you're... Thank you. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Wow, we are in trouble, right? Can, like, let's just one more time. We're all just going to go, uh-oh. Right? Here is what I just read, right? Everything is going to be revealed before God. And no matter what you've ever done, it's going to be totally exposed. And remember, God became a man and he wrestled with the same things you wrestle through. And yet he's totally perfect. And that gives him the right to lay your account and judge you. And it very much feels like Christmas is karma. And God came so that he can understand what we go through, so that he can hold us to this perfect standard, and we are all in a lot of trouble. I know, I would be the first to raise my hand really high and be like, yep, I'm in trouble. If that's the message of Christmas, we are all in a lot of trouble. But I have good news for you. That is not the mission of Jesus. His, his goal in God becoming man in order to go through everything we've gone through, in order to struggle with our struggles and suffer with our suffering and to be tempted with our temptations was not so that he could raise the bar to perfection and demand it of us. It's for this purpose, so that you have the opportunity through Christmas to choose relationship over religion. Religion is our attempt to do good in order to be good. But no matter how much good you ever do, it never feels like enough, does it, right? It always feels like karma is just waiting around the corner. Like there's this hidden, uh, I don't know, dark conspiracy against all of us that at some point it's all waiting and the, the dam is gonna open and we're all gonna be ruined by our hidden wrongs. And it's piling up and it's waiting for us. And no matter how much good I do, I don't feel like it's ever going to outweigh the bad I've done. And so we go through life feeling like we're just waiting for the bad to come on us at once. And it's sudden and it's going to ruin us. And it's impossible for us to feel like we've done enough good in order to actually be good. And so what hope is there and what is the point of Christmas? Well, actually, the point is this, that Christmas is not karma. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 through 16, right? So I just read you verse 13, which was nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of, to him who we must give an account, right? And then he goes like this, but you don't have a God like you think. Jesus is not at all what you expected, Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest, and now he's referring to Jesus. So you think of this priest, this, this lead pastor, this lead overseer within uh, our religion. Because look at this, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. 
And then he goes like this. Okay, so now he sets it up. Jesus is not what you expected. It's not like he's out of touch and he, and he totally is disconnected from what you're going through. In fact, he went through what you've been through, only he did not sin. And now you're like, yep, therefore he has the right to judge. And so here is the next verse. Here is the buildup. It's leading to this moment. This is Christmas, right? This is the point. And he goes like this. Verse 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. You expect to approach God's throne groveling, but he invites you to come with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You could take the little letter of this six-year-old boy, and you could point it at any one of us. Our lives are empty. Maybe the list of all our wrongs are piling up, and the list of our good is empty. And our lives are headed toward ruin. And at the end of the day, why is it impossible for us to ever do enough good to outweigh our bad? Because we are spiritually ruined. We are spiritually corrupted, right? What that means is this. There is this brokenness inside of us called sin. Sin, the spiritual ruin in us that drives us toward not just ending up on the naughty list, but toward living a lifestyle where we've turned our back on God and we are living, pursuing our own interests and our own desires so that no matter what good we do, it's never going to be enough because we are spiritually bankrupt. And so we live spiritually empty lives full of sin. And sin, which separates us from relationship with God and leads toward eternal suffering, leaves us on a life course where we're never going to do the right good or enough good. And we're always going to find ourselves living, struggling with the bad in our lives, feeling like our life is just a perpetual struggle with karma. I do bad and then I get bad back. And I try to do good and I, I try to put some good into it so that I'll get a little bit of good back. But it never seems to work. And the author of Hebrews is challenging us and saying, wait, wait, wait. It's unexpected. God became one of us to do what is totally unexpected. And that is to embrace our temptation and to embrace our struggles and to embrace our suffering so that in his death, he pays the price for our sin. Another author says, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. Not that he started to sin, but that he took the collective um, eternal death sentence for sin and he put it on himself. He became our sin. He embraced our judgment. He embraced our eternal death so that Jesus, who was perfect, experienced the judgment, the suffering, the pain, the penalty for all of our sins. Now that should make you go, wow, that's totally unexpected. That is not at all what you think of when you think of Christmas, which sounds a lot like karma. No, this is something altogether different that... Jesus embraced our death, our judgment, our sin, so that anyone who believes in Jesus by faith is forgiven and given new life, given eternal life. So when you believe in Jesus by faith, God's spirit enters into your spirit and you're changed. 
unexpectedly you are changed. And so let's go back and I want to give you, I just want to take that one verse and I want to give you two very practical steps in how you choose relationship over religion. Because the temptation at Christmas is to do exactly what's expected. Christmas is a time when we think a little bit more about God. Maybe, we, maybe we're a little more thankful. Maybe we give gifts because we remember the gift of Jesus. And so we give gifts because that's the right thing to do and that's the good thing to do. And we fill the Christmas season with a lot of religious activity, doing good in order, hoping that it will make us good. But that's not the message of Christmas because Christmas is not karma. Karma says that you get what you deserve. Christmas says that Jesus embraced what you deserve so that you can receive what you did not deserve. Let's go back to the verse. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Right? And what's the point? That through relationship, we have access to God. Your instinct is that the next time you do something wrong is to push away from God. Because God is holy. Holy means that he is not only perfect, but there is nothing imperfect that can be anywhere near God's presence. That's holy. It's the idea of being not only perfect, but completely set apart from anything imperfect. And so because we see God and we know God as holy and perfect, when we do things that are bad and wrong and sinful, we withdraw from God. But the message of Christmas is that we have a relationship with God, not religion. Therefore, we have access to God. What I mean by that is this. When we're tempted to withdraw from God, we have to be reminded that we are invited into relationship with God, which means the next time I do something wrong, I should pull close to God because he came close to me. God is not embarrassed by your shame. God is not embarrassed by your guilt. Jesus is not embarrassed to call you a friend or a neighbor. Jesus is not embarrassed to be nearby you. In fact, very much the opposite. He came close enough to you to know you and to know your pain and to know your suffering and to know your trouble and to know your sin and to know the agony you've walked through and everything you're carrying. He knows your story. He knows your silent tears. He knows the struggles that you wrestle with in your mind and your emotions. And he has felt what you feel. He has struggled with anxiety. He struggled with depression. He struggled with fear. He wrestled with death. He actually went into the very spiritual death of of hell. Jesus knows what you're going through. And as a result, when we are tempted to pull away from him, we should respond with just the opposite. And that is pull near to God because he was willing to come near to us. Relationship, not religion. Religion, your attempt to do good in order to be good. Relationship says, because God loves me, he gave me new life and I receive his love. And as a result, now I have access to God. Access. The author says that we can approach his throne of grace with confidence. Meaning, think about that, right? Like my kids, 
most days they can just come running up to daddy. I have this favorite little moment right now when I come home, uh, my two and a half year old, Daniel, he just, he's in that stage. He thinks that, well, hopefully they never grow out of this, thinks the world of daddy and I'm his hero. And so as soon as he hears my, the garage open, the car pulls in, he's ready for me. And when I open up that door, he, I hear him say, daddy. And I just, I have to quickly drop my bag and I open my arms and he comes running. He just jumps in my arms and I pick him up and I swing him around, right? Like he approaches daddy with confidence. Now we, we set up a train set for Christmas like a really nice one. Somebody gave it to us as a gift. And I mean, it's cool. It has a little smoke comes out of it. And, and you can, I mean, it's really nice. And, but there's one rule for the little guys. Don't touch it. So the last several days I've come home from work and I pull in and Daniel's just as excited to see me as normal. And so I come in and I open my arms. He comes jumping up in my arms. I swing him around. And then the first thing he says is, daddy, I touched the train. And instantly you see the shift from confidence to fear because he knows he's going to get disciplined for it. I mean, I have to discipline him, right? And, and the point of the, what the author of Hebrews is saying is we don't approach God going, I, I touched the train again. You, you have to spank me again. You have to discipline me again. I did wrong again. Like we just go running into the arms of a loving father knowing that we are forgiven, knowing that we are loved, knowing that there isn't this punishment coming immediately behind it. We're not like, oh, God, I love you, and then, bam, karma's about to whack us upside the head. And I don't think I'm a horrible parent. There is a responsibility to parenting, but in our relationship with God, we have access. And God is not embarrassed to call us his friend. God is not embarrassed to be near us. Here is the point. Stop trying to be good enough to get in the arms of a loving father. Stop trying to impress him. Every time you impress him, what you are saying is that Christmas means karma. That somehow I have to hide what I've done wrong and cover it up. Somehow I have to convince God that I'm worthy of love. No, it's insulting to Jesus. He knew you and I would never be good enough. And so he came and took his perfection and willingly sacrificed himself on a cross so that he became our sacrifice for sin. He died in our place. He rose, from the, he rose again from the dead, victorious over that sin, victorious over our judgment of eternal destruction. And then he gives us the gift of relationship with him through faith. And when you receive it, don't insult him by constantly going around feeling like you have to be good enough. Like you have to somehow earn it or deserve it. Every time you're tempted to cover up your sin, what you're tempted with is karma. That somehow you have to be good enough. Somehow you have to earn it. Every time you're tempted to pretend like you have it all together, what you're saying is in that moment, I don't need Jesus. I'm going to do this on my own. And so there's this incredible freedom when I acknowledge I'm not good enough. I'm never going to be good enough. I need Jesus in my life. Christians aren't uniquely better than anybody else. Christians are just as poor and just as broken and just as sinful as everybody else. The only thing we've done is we hit the jackpot. We found the Savior. We discovered the riches of God's love for us. And we're willing to share it with anybody and everybody. That's Christmas. And then he concludes with this. 
so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So that through relationship, we not only have access to God, but we have access to the riches of God. That's called grace. So you neither have to withdraw from God, nor do you have to try to impress God. But when you get close to God, you receive the gifts of God. What are the gifts of God? It's the riches of heaven. It's his peace. It's his joy. It's his love. It's his forgiveness. It's hope. It's a life not spent in futility, headed toward finality. It's a life of meaning and significance. It's a life full of grace. God's riches deposited into your life. What do I mean by that? I mean that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he purchased the riches of heaven and then made a deposit into your spiritual bank account so that through relationship with God, not religion, but through relationship, you have access to God and you have access to his grace, his goodness, which means you don't do good in order to be good. You've become good through faith in Jesus. And now as a result, you simply do good. I love this little line. The son of God became the son of man. So the sons of man could, be the son, could become the sons of God. See, we become like Jesus through grace. We're not good enough. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. We simply receive it. And when we receive, we're overwhelmed by this grace, this grace, this love, this abundance, meaning you are not poor. I don't care what your financial situation is. Because of relationship with God, you have more than enough. I know you might wrestle with depression. And, there, and I know you might have some emotional struggles right now, but let me, let me make it clear to you. Because of the grace of God, you are more than enough. You are loved. Your life has value and significance. I don't care what your own mind is telling you. The spirit of God in your life is telling you that your life is worth living, that your life has value, that you have been chosen by God, that you are loved by God, that you're worthy, that you are more than enough because you are in the love and the grace of God. So stop believing what your emotions are telling you. Stop believing what your own mind is telling you. Stop believing what your past has told you. Stop believing what others who are tearing you down are telling you. Simply believe in the beauty and the wonder that Christmas is not karma. Christmas is the story of God becoming one of us going through what we've gone through, embracing our trials, embracing our troubles, embracing our sinful struggles with temptation, conquering them in his perfection so that his sinlessness could offer us salvation so that through faith in him, we have access to God and we have access to grace. Now simply, what is your response? How do you respond? to the unexpected Jesus. Jesus that wrestled through what we wrestle through, yet did it perfectly in order to give us his perfection so that you are not your past, you are not your sin, you are not your shame, you are not your pain. You are who God says you are and you are loved by him. You are chosen by him. You have relationship with him. Right now, there are some who you need to make that your Christmas commitment to begin a relationship with Jesus, to lay aside the struggle with religion and embrace that relationship. And if that's where you're at, then your commitment right now is simply, Jesus, I believe in you and I want relationship with you. 
And you're willing to allow him, allow God to forgive you of sin and put his spirit into your spirit. Others of you, you believe in Jesus, but boy, you've struggled with religion. You're trying to be good enough by doing good enough. And now it's time to lay that aside and say, God, once again, through faith in Jesus, I'm willing to have access to you and access to your grace. That I am good first because you say I'm good. And then I'm going to allow you to do good through me. And so I want you to take a moment right now and pause and simply pray. What prayer do you need to make? Maybe for some of you it's a prayer of commitment to confess Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. Allow him to make you new and receive new relationship with him. Others of you, your prayer is that reconfession of faith and a re-acknowledgement of receiving his grace and his love in your life. Would you pause right now and would you simply pray? Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.